if you're going to put anything out and that thing be successful, you feel a natural compulsion via the the genuine uh, pressure of an audience um, to repeat your successes. And as soon as you decide to do something that would not be a repetition of your successes, suddenly, you know, there's, there's fucking pressure. Most of us have two lives. The life we live and the unlived life within us. We all have our own road to walk. Nothing's perfect and there's going to be a price for everything. There are no rules. Welcome to The Resistance, featuring meaningful conversations. I think I'm grieving the death of part of me. It's not about being the star and being seen. It's about... That explore that very space between who we are and who we say we want to be. I'm your host, Matt Connor. So the other day I heard a quote, and I think it's appropriate to just lead right out with it. Bill Reynolds, a music producer and member of the of the group Band of Horses, has a mantra in his studio that he just says, let's ruin our careers today. Jay, what do you think of that quote? I think it's an awesome quote. I mean, uh, just, I mean, I know what he's trying to say, I guess, in the greater context of everything, just going beyond what you're doing at all costs, uh, you know, is, yeah. Yeah, I was... So I, I was interviewing a, a young band um, and, and they were entering the studio with Bill and they were just had all these questions about like what next and how do we follow up? And Bill's mantra, it just kind of challenged them like, screw it. <laughs> like, like basically who cares what you've done in the past? Just go with what you feel you want to do. Yeah. And I, I, not only do I, I love that quote, I, I wrote it down the moment they said it because I just thought, oh, that's such a a powerful mantra, but I thought it was such a great way to open today's episode because as you know, today's guest is Alex Ebert, who has made a career of basically saying, let's, let's ruin my career today <laughs> by doing whatever I want. Um, for those of you who don't know Alex's music, uh, he began with the punkish leanings of I'm a robot. Um, most of you likely know him from, Right after that, he formed a band called Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, which there's no such person as Edward Sharp. He's just this <laughs> sort of hippie trope, as he describes you know how long him. it just, took me to actually figure out there was no Edward Sharp. It's like, there's no Hootie. <laughs> there's no Edward Sharp. There's what no Hootie or Edward. Oh my God. Yeah, we're allowed to fake things, right? Yeah, no, he, you know, he makes up Edward Sharp. They, they make it big with the hit Home. And 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 that album, and then suddenly we deal with a decade of Mumfords, yeah, uh, and Lumineers, and all kinds of uh, <laughs> and hey hoes, hey, and all that. Hey, hey, oh, hey, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the thing that was uh, you know just just kind of jumping into that. There's so many good quotes. If you guys listen, uh, you'll you'll know that we open with with a we call it a cold open in the biz, <laughs> uh, with uh, with with a quote, a cold quote, and there's so many good ones in here. And he, this guy has just been through so much, pushed through so many things. And one of the things that that I think as artists we can all kind of relate to, or you know, artists and even just in general, is the expectations of so many different people. And at some point. You're fighting. If you're fighting against them, you kind of lose yourself because everyone has their own opinion of what you should be doing. So in in the end, you just have to you have to be true to who you are. And you're the only one that looks at yourself in the mirror in the morning is kind of the kind of what it boils down to. And so, yeah. you know, you can be pushed or pulled or you can 
you can just walk at your own pace and your own beat. And that's it's kind of what Alex talked about through this whole interview. If, if you're not up to the moment on Alex's music, he just released uh, an album this year in which he's uh, way into hip hop, which is his part of his background anyway. But it's just the latest musical shift from a guy who's not afraid to make them. So on today's episode, we hope you enjoy it. It's, it's talking to someone who's just learned how to ignore an industry that was really unfair to him from the very beginning. Um, it's really a doozy. It's one of my favorite conversations we've had in our short history of the resistance so far. Uh, so we hope you enjoy it. Stay tuned for our conversation with Alex Ebert. Just to catch us up before we begin, do you have like a encapsulated way to talk about the creative plate that you're spinning right now? Trying to sort of forest fire a, a slow burn. Um, <laughs> you know, it's been, this That's is like one of those, or, you know, this is one of those three year, four year, some, some straggling pieces of it are over a decade old. Um, this album I've been working on. Um, and that's, that's one area of music. And then there's, um, a tech, uh, company that I've been developing and not just in my mind or on paper, but, you know, actual code being written and things being built for the last five years. And then, um, a book that, um, I've been writing for the last eight years. So it's like this these multiple mountains sort of slow grade mountains that do have peaks, I believe, but, um, <laughs> but, um, there's, I don't know if you've ever been hiking on steep terrain, but there's uh, this thing called false peaks where you, you keep thinking you're seeing the peak, but it's just the latest in the most vertical thing you're mm. going to have to, uh, to climb, um, until you realize that once you summit that there's, there's another many summits. And then finally you get to that one that you, that really is the fucking end. And that's a pretty good feeling, but it's, um, and then at that point you have to sort of remount in the mountain. It's, uh, then you have to put it out and hope that you're still invigorated by the thing. And, um, and in some ways I like that long, slow process because with each step you take up that mountain, you really have to remember whether or not it, it, you actually want to summit that particular mountain, if, if you mm. even care about that mountain. And I think that that's reconfirming in a cool way. By the way, do you work best that way when there are um, varied creative plates. outlets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, yeah. I can, I can monofocus, but I work. work is my favorite thing to do other than playing with my kid, having some rush of in love, adrenaline, you know, those are the three things <laughs> work, the rush of love and, uh, and hanging with my kid and work takes up most of that. So most of my friendships are based around the creative process. I open up about my personal life with my creative, you know, whoever I'm being creative with at the time. So given that so much time is devoted to work in general, it's really nice to have, uh, you know, those palate cleansers that are also uh, work uh, and sure. creative it's you know the word creative or being creative could be supplanted for the word work if if someone out there is like wow this guy's really a serious guy it's not serious at all <laughs> <laughs> well alex I'd, I'd love to dive into the the premise here um by actually leading out the way we lead out most of our episodes 
which is from the book The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And Pressfield opens his book with a couple lines that I'd love to read. And then what I'd love for you to do is just basically say your relationship to that, whether that's true for you or not, whether you believe that or not, or, or what you're wrestling with. Most of us have two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. And between the two stands the resistance. Like, what's true in that for you? I think for me, what that would privately boil down to is um, saying more directly and unshrouded in the sort of cloistered language of, you know, poetics and lyrics and things that fucking rhyme, is to just really nakedly say what my thoughts are on any particular matter, you know, to, um, in, a, in a sense, writing, nonfiction sort of writing, um, just direct words and opinions. It's something that, um, as a musician, well, let me, let me be, let me denude what I'm saying now, because I'm already cloistering it. I'm, I'm a fairly sort of <laughs> political, uh, a political, sociopolitical sort of observer, thinker, and private writer, privateer. Um, and, and I, uh, I've, I've some projects that I've, that speak to the matter, like something called proxy vote, which I, uh, didn't mention only cause it, it started to sound like I was bragging about all the things I haven't finished, <laughs> but, uh, yep. So this thing called proxy vote, which I, uh, it's another one of the tech sort of platforms, but, uh, it allows anybody to vote on any bill in Congress sort of in real time. And then I had a super PAC and for 2018, we supported candidates who pledged to use the app uh, that aggregates the will of their own constituency to inform how they would behave in Congress. So in other words, like direct democracy kind of thing. And there's things like that that really put it in the lap of others. But I'm certainly not saying I'd want to be a politician, but rather as a musician, you're so encouraged not to say precisely what you think, especially when it comes to politics. And you're encouraged by that, not just by people and your managers and the business itself, but you're encouraged by that because the language itself doesn't sing that well. Um, you got the clash, you got like Rage Against the Machine. You got these <laughs> examples uh, where specific things, especially with the clash or, or U2 does it where very specific things. But I was thinking about it. It's like, you know, what, what creates greater impact? A song about, um, you know, well... I love you too, and 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 I'm <laughs> mildly friends with some of them. But let's just say a song like Sarajevo, and yeah. then what what has a bigger impact? A song like that, or all the money that they've raised for mm. something like Sarajevo through their pop songs, which are making more money for them um, through their sort of you know whatever iconography, you know, and where's the biggest impact lie and all that. So you anyway, you're persuaded through the politics of popularity to sort of speak to the largest swath of people. And even as like an artist that's perceived as sort of more of an outs outsider artist, not a pop musician, I still sort of succumb to that. And in a certain way, you know, it's not just that there's been a culture of sort of progenated by, by punk rock ethos of like being really hyper wary of being earnest. And if you're not going to be earnest, then, um, you know, songs of sort of love and community, 
communality, I was going to say, coin my own phrase, but like, and, and communalism or whatever, you know, like these sort of hippie tropes would be really uncool. So I think a large resistance that I had to overcome in my own life was moving from punk rock ethos to, um, to a sort of hyper uncool, um, let's all get together and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, hippie sort of hippie ethos. And yeah, dabbling with all of that was, uh, was difficult. There's all these tropes that were sort of up until really until 2008 um, were really sort of off the table in terms of what could be considered hip. So that was that was a large jump. I would say my my yeah my most dangerous song that I feel like I've ever written is not like some of my I'm a Robot stuff or anti-imperialist stuff or anything, but was rather the song that I did with Edward Sharp called uh, "I Don't Want to Pray," which starts off with. Um, just this really earnest childish phrase, like like by childish I mean like like kindergarten. I love my God, God made love. I love my God, God made hate. And going through all these different things, I've always loved loved the idea of reappropriating language, uh, especially language that's become really divisive and uh, and been tried to be owned by one particular group. So like the word God, for instance, reappropriating that. I'm not, I'm not religious. I don't, I don't follow or really believe in any sort of organized religion. Um, but I do like the word God and it means something to me. And to be able to sort of reclaim spiritualism in the, in the pop public sphere felt really fucking dangerous to me. I was like, <laughs> Oh my God, when's the last time I heard some shit like this? Like, this is really like just Christian pop from the 1960s. Like no one would think that this was some cool shit. But you just, um, but so that was like a really fun moment where I met the resistance and pushed through and was like, well, let's see what happens. So that kind of speaking the mind and and going out on limbs, I think is always going to be the most invigorating resistance I have because I don't know, it's, 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 it's dissent, dissent to, to the, to the group to which you belong. And dissenting is always scary because, you know, we have that social anxiety baked into our brains where we really want to, to, uh, retain our status or improve it. And the way you do that usually is by pleasing people, not by infuriating them or, or making them think you're lame. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm glad that you just said that. You, you brought up a couple avenues I would love to chase, but this idea, like what you just admitted, the social anxiety that, quote, all of us deal with, mm-hmm. is interesting to hear from you because it seems like you've always sort of had maybe thicker skin or more of the sort of like water, like the proverbial water off a duck's back than most artists. I just read a recent quote from you that said, I've always loved just making whatever art came to me and felt sorry for the paradigm of artistry that constrains the artist to one look, one sound, you know, et cetera. Charting your career from the outside feels like that. It feels like a Sufjan-esque this guy's going to do whatever the hell he feels like doing <laughs> and, um, and, and could care less about the marketplace. And that's what makes it compelling. I mean, at least to those of us who feel that oh, way. I'm, so I'm, I'm hyper aware of that. Yeah. Like, yeah, that those, all those changes um, are difficult. <laughs> okay. They're not, they're not, they're not as water off a duck is back and they're difficult only in that. Although every one of those moments where iconoclastic moments where you're, where you suddenly are going against the grain or you're stepping out and there's, there's some doubt into your head as to, you know, the whole premise of fucking commerce is a brand, a brand that people recognize, identify with, 
and create, uh, you create brand loyalty. I mean, you know, this podcast has its name. It's, it's got its topic. It's on brand. Um, Edward Sharp has its name. It's top, like, you know, everything ends up on brand by hook or crook. Like you, you, you almost can't avoid it if you're going to put anything out and that thing be successful. You feel a natural compulsion via the, the genuine, uh, pressure of an audience. Um, to repeat your successes. And as soon as you decide to do something that would not be a repetition of your successes, suddenly, you know, there's, there's fucking pressure. <laughs> I mean, when I put out, I'm a robot, uh, my first band and the review was welcome to the newest, most annoying voice in rock and roll was the, <laughs> was the, the rolling stone lead off fucking line. <laughs> no. <laughs> And then, you know, and then we put out uh, Edward Sharp, which is sort of the antithesis of I'm a Robot. Yeah. And the the focus of, again, Rolling Stone, but every fucking article was, um, you can obviously not trust this person, Edward Sharp, who is attempting to um, sort of don the guise of a guru. He is a fraud. So Edward Sharp now is a fraud because he was an I'm a Robot. How could you be punk rock like that and hyper irreverent and then flip over to this like earnest hippie thing. Um, this is bullshit, you know, fail. That's the, that's the vibe I had from the gatekeepers of cool going into the Edward Sharp thing, like a, a total sense of, of betrayal, uh, that they felt and a sense of, you cannot trust this guy. Um, this is fake, fake news. Meanwhile, people that are obviously doing things that are, you know, I wouldn't call it fake, but certainly completely irreverent, ironic, and um, unearnest, and donned as total guises, like, you know, whatever, from Lady Gaga to fucking any band you can think of who's ever been styled by a stylist, which we never were. (laughs) Also, we were never produced by a producer. We were never even mixed by a mixer. We did everything. It was all DIY, and we're the ones faking it. So it was a really interesting juxtaposition, but that's what happens when you... That's what can happen when you change. Like my new album that I've just been working on, I'm fucking rapping, you know? <laughs> I'm rapping a lot. <laughs> Which, that that's actually truer to your background than people may realize though, right? Yes, yeah. Hip-hop was my entire, my entire life. The only thing I could relate to was, um, was rap and hip-hop. And so I had my, my first rap group when I was like fucking eight. And uh, it was a gangster rap group called Kabang. And, and on from there until, until the late 90s when I started to um, fall out of love with it. Really the 2000s when it became like hyper-focused on just sort of, it became glam rock. Yeah, I started to fall out with it around then. But then, you know, I don't know, I've been here, I just, I'd be in an Uber, you know, and I was just like listening to pop radio and I was like, you know what, this shit is actually starting to get melodic and sound like, I got to put out these, actually, these really, really early, like 2000 era demos from I'm a Robot, because this shit is, there's a renaissance happening. It's kind of fun to watch. Earlier, that, you know, the, the Rolling Stone couplet that you mentioned of, you know, from one response to the next. Do you think that is actually a good thing in your history, That that immediately you weren't that drawn in, but instead you were like sort of pushed to this sort of, I don't know, an outsider rebellious. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, look, I ended up, 
I ended up writing like the nonfiction book that I've been writing is actually called Kingdom Cool. And it's like basically entirely about sort of the, the self-relegation uh, mechanism of social anxiety that is called cool. And yeah, it, I, I love that all that happened. I, I actually kind of really relish being outsider. And what it's done is by not feeling safe on the inside, it's made me require myself to feel safe on the outside. And I don't know that I would have made an album, for instance, where I'm rapping and, you know, one half of the album, if I felt all cozy and snug on the inside and, and, and hadn't been able to develop, I guess, as you say, like that thick skin or that appreciation for the outside. In that moment, how much were you just wanting, like, like, I feel like if I'd read that, I would want to like, okay, I'm packing my, my ball and bat and going, <laughs> like I'm curling up in the fetal position and, yeah. and questioning what, what the hell did I even do? Yeah. How much of that was at work in that moment or how quickly were you able to sort of move past or through? I mean, it pissed me off bad, especially the bit about, you know, like it, it, it depressed me. It, it, it created a greater depression for me about, um, like humanity. Like why is the static life so revered and the evolving life so distrusted and cast aside? Why, why is it that, you know, we haven't gotten used to the idea or into the idea of, um, artistic evolution in the same way that, you know, painters get to enjoy for periods, but even, even painters and even producing a body of work, I just basically ended up getting to realize how boiled down to commerce and branding this all is. I remember reading a quote from Rihanna the other day, you know, it was like last year, a couple of years ago, someone's like, um, do you think you'd ever play a show with Taylor Swift? And she said, um, no, I don't think so. Our brands don't match. I was like, wow, oh my gosh. she didn't say bands because she meant brands. And that's pretty amazing. And it's pretty, pretty far that we've sort of strayed from the, the idea of even being aware of that and not selling out. But now it's really just like nakedly about branding. And I think that there's something fundamentally fucked up about that when it comes to uh, how that imitating past successes, which is the definition of sort of brand, the building brand loyalty, you know, negates uh, true innovation and yeah, new innovation will come, but it won't come from you. It'll come from someone else sort of breaking your, your pattern, but why not break your pattern yourself? I mean, it, it would make for a life much more fully lived in the artistic sense to me, to be sure. able to feel like you have the liberty and freedom to fucking meander and wander and explore. It's an interesting conundrum. I think it's like, makes up a lot of resistance for a lot of people. I think a lot of artists experience this particular resistance, you know? When you're creating sort of these brand new ventures, so to speak, when, when you're saying, when you're looking at the industry and it's, and it's longing to categorize you, build a brand, et cetera, when you're looking at that and saying, no, I'm following my own muse, I'm, 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 I'm going wherever the energy wants me to go, how much of that is out of some spirit of rebellion it's almost sort of like a i'll show you and how much of that is out of a more of a non-reactive centeredness that is going with the energy and and is not even concerned with showing anyone anything um i think the per the person i'm proving most to is is myself because the sensation of stepping out 
dissenting the group to which you belong, doing something that's not a repetition of success. There's always the, you know, the specter of failure. And what does failure mean? You know, it can mean many things, financial ruin. It can mean, Hmm. you know, uh, total embarrassment. It could mean excommunication. It could mean just personal pain or shame or whatever the hell it is for a particular venture. And I love that fucking specter because what that means is suddenly I need courage. And for me, courage is a paint by numbers thing. It's like, do I think that this could not work? Yes, definitely. Am I ready to fail? Yes, sure. Do I think I'm going to fail? Not at all. I think that I'm going to to do this and to take that leap with faith and know that to trust yourself is a very specific feeling. That, that essentially is the definition of courage is to trust your instinct. And when you trust your instinct, you act on it. And that's going to be courageous in certain circumstances. And that's a pretty cool feeling, even if having failed to trust yourself, you know? So the feeling, I guess the overriding, you know, thing I'm trying to prove to myself is that, um, that I'm willing to trust myself. And that's a really invigorating fucking feeling. So, and then, you know, I should say though, that spite uh, or anger or competition are also really valuable. I started writing a whole book that's now 400 pages deep because of a really, really hyperbolically shitty article about me in um, Spin Magazine. And I fucking love that. Uh, I, lo- I love doing that. People have asked me point blank, like, well, of course, you've never made anything like out of comp- like to compete with someone else. I'm like, are you crazy? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Sergeant Peppers was made in response to Pet Sounds. Uh, and how many amazing feats have been accomplished because, you know, of sheer competition? I mean, sports, yes. And then so many other things. And, you know, there's a fine line and distinction between competition and inspiration. You can also just be inspired, but want to want to feel, you know, feel like you can do it better. So, yeah, there's all that sort of wrapped up into it. You know, I hate hearing criticism, but it almost always galvanizes. me. Was, was that true for you as a kid? Like, have you always been wired that way? Yeah. When I was a kid, my, my dad, um, when I was 13, my father wanted to uh, send me off to a, uh, what do you call it? A trade school in Colorado. Because he said I just wasn't an intellectual. <laughs> I'm 13. Oh, oh my and, gosh. Um, yeah. And he's like, no, nah, you're just not. It's not for you. You know, because he was a straight A student and uh, and he just hated sort of what a cut up I was. I really didn't like school. But what's fun for me looking back is I had really like solid fundamental reasons for not liking school. Like they were actually intellectually sound uh, adjudications of like the, you know, the uselessness of um of school. And, um, <laughs> and, you know, and what I love now is these articles coming out about how less school creates smarter people. And the, now like the 40, the, the 30 hour work week in Japan or, and elsewhere improve productivity by f- over 40%. And, and the, the, the best students in the world now are all in, you know, Scandinavia where they <laughs> reduce the school day to like four hours. I love these things coming out. Okay. You know, it's like finding out like, um, that people with higher IQ um, tend to be messier and curse a lot. And I'm just like, yes, (laughs) but I have this whole lifelong fucking obsession with proving my father wrong about being intellectual, you know? So it's kind of an interesting thing, but yeah, because he said that I had that, you know, and all of that, like when I, when I listened to the very first thing I ever recorded singing, because I'd been rapping all my life, but when I started singing, when I was like 19, I got the demo back 
put it in the car, went for a drive. I started sobbing. It was so bad. I just thought I was the worst singer ever. And I think I'm harsher on myself than probably anyone's ever been on me. But I just thought I was the worst singer. And I always look to that moment as a piece of resistance that somehow, I don't even remember how I pushed through it. I feel like I had to have had divine help somehow because it was just the most crushing afternoon of my life. And then I kept going for some reason. Let me ask you the flip side of this, because we've been sort of deriding this industry and all of its, you know, silly, conflating consistency with integrity, etc. But you have had moments when you've been, uh, I mean, I don't want to say the darling of the industry, but, but certainly you have found success, big success, within this same industry. Does that create a weird relationship in a way? with uh within yourself for whatever reason the success of edward sharp was um so like with i'm a robot we made you know roman coppola directed a a video that ended up costing over six hundred thousand dollars for our first video with i'm a robot we signed a nearly million dollar deal that we were one of the last big deals of like you know the whole big deal era and then you know the album sold you know, 30,000 copies and was not a success as, as termed. And so then with Edward Sharp, we, we were on sort of a, a I started a label uh, because Heath Ledger actually was going to put out our album. So I started a, with his own label. So I started one after he died. And then we did a joint deal with another small label and we put it out and home wasn't really on the radio. And we were darlings of South by Southwest. There, there was definitely an element of the sort of structure of, of the industry that we have been darlings uh, within, but it was like public radio. <laughs> it was like, you know, it was like, like sort of the, the, the mom and pop um, of the, of the industry. And I, I always really loved that. Um, and, you know, yeah, I don't know. And so my, my, my sense of the, the industrialized aspect of like how operationalized we were at radio and whatnot, um, I never really got to experience too much of that with Edward Sharp because we just didn't really write songs. Like when Home came out, nothing else sounded like it. So it wasn't, it was a different terrain, you know? So pop radio just wouldn't play it. Mostly it was a cultural hit. And and I like that. I, I'm, I guess I it, gives, it lends a certain relationship to me with the internet and, and with weddings, by the way, <laughs> because weddings, home gets played at weddings. And I used to just be so, I used to have just massive problems with the institution of marriage and yada, yada, very sort of like stuck up kid um, stuff, like from my early twenties. And it sort of just took hold and set in and never left. And then seeing how many people share stories with me about their weddings and the song home. And during the song home, I'll hand the microphone to the audience and, and they'll tell stories. And four out of five times, it's a wedding story of they got married at the song. Wow. And it's made me have this like total turnaround to an entire sort of way of living and institution. And this changed my, um, my perspective on things just by proximity. So there's, there's things that, success changes about you in a, in a positive way. I think I still enter a theater and, and that we're going to play and look around at the ornate, whatever, and think, Jesus, like, this is amazing. How did mm. I, I'm, I'm just so fucking humbled that I'm in this fucking theater and that people are going to come see us play. I'm still really sort of just blown away by the whole thing. So hopefully that, that sticks. Cause I, I, 
I quite like being um, in a state of wonder about the whole thing. You've been listening to The Resistance. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate us on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And for more information and further episodes, you can find us at listentotheresistance.com. Engineering, production, and additional music by Jake Kirkpatrick. My name is Matt Connor, and I'm your host. Thanks for listening.